Welcome to the Street Smart Wisdom Podcast from Wisdom Feed. I'm Steve Stein. In this series, we talk to best-selling authors and thought leaders doing great work in the world of mindfulness, wellness, and creativity. Our mission is to bring ancient ideas down to street level and bring you takeaways that you can apply to everyday life. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterListen.com. At BetterListen, we have hundreds of audios, courses, and programs available to stream and download. As a listener to the Street Smart Wisdom podcast, you are eligible for a free audiobook download. Just visit BetterListen.com forward slash free today. Street Smart Wisdom is proud to present a conversation with Lise Lotoff, the creator of the legendary TV series MacGyver. I had the pleasure of sitting down to chat about his inspirational solution for creative problem solving, his groundbreaking book, The MacGyver Secret. On this show, he shares tools and tips to help you discover your inner MacGyver. Enjoy the chat. Hi there, we're here with our friend Lee Zlotoff, and we're going to find out a little bit more about him today. Uh, so Lee, who are you? <laughs> well, I am uh, have been uh, a writer, producer, and director in the entertainment industry for quite some time. Uh, and, uh, um, but I think, of, really, I think of myself as a storyteller more than anything else. Those are just sort of technical terms. Uh, and, uh, and in this particular case, though, the story I have to tell is not a fictional story, but a nonfiction story um, about a process that I came upon in, you know, in, in my own creative work. The key character in your story <clears throat> uh, has some characteristics that kind of permeated through this nonfiction book you've just created. Is it kind of... Is it something like autobiographical? Not really, but how does it relate to the, the key character in your, uh, you know, in well, your... Well, obviously, you know, I'm probably best known as being the creator of MacGyver, which has sort of become a global mem and a word in the dictionary. Um, and part of the ethos of MacGyver is sort of being able to kind of take odds and ends, what looks like nothing, and sort of turn it into something. And <clears throat> while there is a sort of autobiographical uh, kind of start to this particular uh, methodology that I came up with, it seemed appropriate to call it the MacGyver secret because it's really what MacGyver does, which is, gee, how do you really kind of take what appears to be a confusing or difficult question and source through yourself to come up with a great answer. Hmm. So how many uh, episodes were there of the show, or are there, because it's, it's running again, how many episodes? How, <laughs> well, how many times has his ethos been tested? Like, oh, well, uh, I believe there were something like 150 episodes or so of the original s series, and now there, there's a reboot series on CBS, and they're about to go into their third season. So I think they've got, 
there's this new series. I think they've got somewhere like 40, 45 episodes so far. And I think they're planning on making maybe another 22 to 25 this season. So I don't know. Lots. <laughs> wow, that, that's amazing. So um, I haven't watched many of the new ones. So I'm uh, just curious, how have they reinvented or have they reinvented uh, the character for millennials or technologically, because it's been a while since the original series uh, was on. Is, is it the same ethos really driving it or driving the character or how yeah, does that well, translate he's he's uh he's a little younger in in this uh, incarnation than he was in the original uh but it's still that ability to sort of look at you know kind of whatever happens to be laying around and find a way to connect it in unique and interesting ways uh, clearly they've updated it because you know back in uh 1992 when the last series ended they didn't have you know everybody wasn't walking around with a cell phone so i would say it's not uncommon that now you know he he's constantly taking apart a cell phone to do something so it's kind of becoming a, a running joke on the show because he's got a sort of partner uh, buddy pal who's this kind of you know bodyguard type uh, character and he's always getting give me your phone and he goes oh man you gotta trash my phone again and it's like yes i am <laughs> so he otherwise we're gonna die so you know it's like really which is more important <laughs> so there's not like an app for that he doesn't download no he hacks he yeah he, he just hacks phone. the phone itself right yeah i like it i like it wow so that that's uh and it must be catching on with millennials. Uh, it's going into its third, se third season, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, so I've been told by, uh, by CBS is that um, the numbers last season were better than they were the first season. So that shows that it's, yes, the audience is growing. So kind of parallel question. What, you know, what's the attraction? There's like some kind of uh, archetypal attraction because everyone every day has big and small things they're trying to solve that go wrong. Like, that's the nature of life. So it struck a chord, but you know, what kind of, what is it that gives the story legs? Because it, it mirrors our life every day, I, I guess. Well, uh, I, I, you know, I spent a fair amount of time thinking about this. <laughs> um, and I came to the conclusion that it was really three things. Uh, first of all, he doesn't use a gun. Now, virtually every other action-adventure hero out there uses a gun. Um, and this wasn't for moral reasons that we took the gun away from him when we created the original series. It was, well, if he doesn't use a gun, then he's going to have to find another way to solve the problem. And that gave you your hook, which is, okay, what's around me that I can now jerry-rig together to, you know, get us out of this spot or overcome the bad guys or whatever it was. Um, and the fact that he doesn't use a gun, I think, on a global perspective, you know, obviously here in the United States, guns are readily available. But that's not necessarily true around the rest of the world. Most people don't particularly want access to firearms. So... That seemed to make him kind of very, you know, accessible and unique. And then obviously 
that ingenuity, creativity, resourcefulness. Um, again, you know, here in the Western developed world, we want something, we go to a store, we buy it. It breaks, we throw it out, we go get another one. But much of the world, you know, they have to kind of piece things together every day just to survive. So they kind of looked at this character and went, you know, we do what he does every single day just to just to feed ourselves or keep roofs over our heads or whatever it is. And so that too, I think, made him, you know, uniquely accessible and identifiable. And then clearly, no matter how life-threatening the situation was, he always maintained a sense of humor and humility. And uh, and I think that too made him very attractive because he was he was always the smartest guy in the room and he never acted like the smartest guy in the room. You know, James Bond was always very smug, you know, shaken, not stirred. It's like, come on, dude, <laughs> the martini. You're gonna tell the difference, you know? But but MacGyver was just kind of the guy next door. He just happened to be brilliant. And I think those three factors made him seem kind of really both special, you know, and very accessible. And I, at least as far as I understand it, I think those are the reasons that people were really drawn to this character. And that sense of, look, as you know, every day it's not uncommon, like, oh, how am I going to get this destroyer to stop sliding open? You know, it's like, okay, I'll just show, oh, I just MacGyvered it, you know? And we, as sophisticated and technological as our modern lives are, there's still a constant need to, you know, make things work. Um, uh, because technology doesn't always do exactly what we want it to anyway. And so that kind of approach, I think, is, is more, you know, familiar and comfortable to people because it's like, well, I got to do this kind of stuff all the time, depending upon the kind of work you have. But it just, it just seems like something people um, understand is part of their, you know, part of their lives. Wow. So I guess a synonym for, is it a verb to MacGyver something? I yes. guess. So a synonym would be like jerry-rig or... Yeah, that's, a, that's sometimes used as a synonym, right? The jerry-rig things or... The, I, you know. I have to research. I love where, you know, the etymology of words, but... But it's it's similar. It's taking it's it's it forces you to be uh, uh, like MacGyver to figure yeah. it out, which, which is yeah, cool. It requires a certain amount of innovation and resourcefulness and situational awareness. Like, what do I have? You know, how can I turn what I have into what I need? Because it's not. I may not have the absolute thing that would be designed for this purpose, but but I got to make it work anyway, so. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, this is a relatively new series we're doing on Wisdom Feed, and it's called Street Smart Conversations. So you happen to be a, a native New Yorker or born, born in New York, uh, but I think Street Smart Wisdom, which is kind of like a theme for Wisdom Feed, is uh, it takes some situational awareness to, in the moment, to navigate what's happening now. You might have planned for this, you might have planned for that, there's always something unexpected. So I think the situational awareness um, is kind of what we're trying to get at <clears throat> with our whole concept of street smart wisdom. You know, so uh, 
you know, how does the MacGyver method or how does, and we do a lot of things with meditation or mindfulness or how does the creative process work, but not in a, in a textbook level, but in, um, you know, in, in a street smart, down street level, common person kind of, uh, you know, how is it relevant to me in my life? which is interesting to what you said with people that live not in the third world or what the right term is, the second world, where you, you don't just throw it away and buy a new one at, you know, at, at uh, Macy's or wherever. So you have to MacGyver it. You have to, whatever the situation hands you, you have to uh, be in the moment. So there is a, a kind of uh, <clears throat> mindfulness aspect to it, I guess. Well, you know, you can go all the way from uh, on a certain level that kind of sort of Zen sort of approach all the way down to, okay, let's just get it done. And sort of the Zen thing is, you know, how do you stay in the present? All right. <clears throat> By staying in the present, you just don't let the filters of the past or the expectations of the future cloud what you're seeing. What is in front of me really right now? And on the sort of MacGyver level, it's like, okay, what's in front of me right now? If I'm presented with a problem, what are my resources for dealing with this problem? And, you know, to kind of move it into the MacGyver secret, it's like, all right, it turns out that there's a very simple way to access what I call your inner MacGyver or subconscious, because it turns out that's astonishingly better at solving problems than our so-called conscious minds are. But since we're awake, you know, three quarters of the day, we think all this problem solving happens in, you know, that kind of hamster wheel of thoughts that goes on when, when we wake up in the morning and stops when we finally collapse at night. But I sort of discovered kind of by accident, I guess, um, that that's not really where the great problem solving occurs. It really takes place in that subconscious or inner MacGyver. And then it was a question of, aha, well, is there an easy way to just kind of get back and forth to and from that subconscious so I can get the answers to the problems I'm dealing with quickly and efficiently? It turned out that there was, you know? And it's like three simple steps that require in delightful MacGyver fashion, nothing more than a pen and a piece of paper. <laughs> you can just tap right into what is, you know, in everyone, an extraordinary problem-solving ability that's available to you, but we've just never been taught to solve problems that way. It's not how our school systems are designed, you know? Um, and so consequently, it was like, wow, this is great. I mean, it was great for me as a creative writer, particularly in television where I was under constantly crushing deadlines. Um, that's kind of how it emerged. Um, but anybody can use it for any kind of problem. So you kind of MacGyvered the MacGyver method. Like you, in re, you were in a real life situation where I think you tell the story where you had to crank out uh, a lot of content, a lot of stories, on a on a regular 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 flowing basis and had this method how did you kind of birth this idea this concept well you know so as you said the pressure was relentless and intense 
Um, and it's difficult enough to be creative, but to be creative when, you know, no pun intended, somebody's holding a gun to your head, um, is, is doubly difficult. And I noticed that the best stuff came to me not when I was racking my brain at my, you know, typewriter or computer, but when I was driving or taking a shower, that's when the best stuff would kind of just bubble up. I'm sure, you know, most of the listeners out there have had similar experiences. Um, but this was happening sort of so frequently that I finally stopped and went, wait a minute, why is it that the best stuff is coming up when I'm doing these other activities and when I'm quote unquote trying to work, it, it doesn't come. Um, and the answer was, well, when you're doing something like driving or taking a shower, your conscious mind has to be paying attention to what you're doing, okay? If you're in a shower, you know, it's kind of routine, but you don't want to get water up your nose or soap in your eyes or slip and fall. So, you know, your consciousness is constantly paying attention to what's happening in the moment. Um, same is true of driving, you know? Even though driving is second nature, you get in, you turn the key, you press the gas, but moment to moment, you have to be paying attention to how fast am I going, who's in front of me, when do I turn? You know, your conscious mind has to be paying attention to what's happening. And because it's focused on something else, it allowed apparently that subconscious mind to say, hey Lee, here's the answer to the problem you've been looking for, or here's a great idea for a show, or what if she said this and he said that, and I was like, Oh, wow, this stuff is great. It's like now, and then the challenge became, the MacGyvering really became, how do I find a way to do that so that I don't have to either be in a car or in a shower all the time? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that got a little cumbersome. Um, and the answer was very simply, uh, as, is in the, as is in the book, um, step one is you simply write down the problem. Um, in longhand, actually, it's even better than typing it because um, the you know neuroscientists and cognitive scientists have found that when you write something down in longhand rather than typing it, um, it somehow goes deeper into the neural pathways of your brain and and sticks better. So you just write down the problem in as much detail as you want. Doesn't matter. You can write a whole page you know you can write two lines just just lay out the problem and then rather than like in school going okay now here's the problem i just got to start pounding my head against it you go no i'm just going to turn this over to my inner macgyver or subconscious and i'm going to go do something else we call that an incubation activity and they're and you know driving and taking a shower two wonderful incubation <laughs> activities obviously but there's, you know, there's no shortage of other ones. So I, I have a question for you. So uh, how do you, this is, I'm asking for my own personal edification. So, okay. um, so what's, so how do I self-monitor the difference between uh, an incubation activity and procrastination? Like I could shower for three days and not get any work done, you know, so there's gotta be, you know, so is it built yeah, in? So here's, here's the way to make that distinction, okay? Because sometimes it looks like procrastination. Now procrastination is a little bit different 
because in procrastination, you're trying to avoid looking at something because, because you know you have to. By writing the problem down in advance, okay, you've now given it a concrete reality, both externally, because there's actually ink on paper somewhere, okay, and internally, because you've now tasked your inner MacGyver or subconscious to say, okay. hey, this is the problem I need you to work on, okay? So, boom, we've now planted a flag, we've now, you know, established that and there's you planted a, a seed also that's exactly right and so now if you go off and do something else it's not procrastination it's incubation because you've planted a seed and you set a time limit so you go okay okay in an hour in four hours tomorrow morning i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna look for i want the answer by then and you can set that time limit to your inner MacGyver subconscious. You can just say to it, I'm coming back in an hour. I need an answer by then. Or I'm coming back in four hours. Or I'm coming back tomorrow morning. You're going to have something for me. And then you let it go. You just forget about it. You take it out of the conscious mind because over time you discover, indeed, my subconscious is working on that problem, you know? And... Uh, and so that's the difference, though that it may look like procrastination, but actually you're being incredibly productive because the part of you that knows how to solve problems is working on the problem. Just because you can't see it working on the problem doesn't mean it's not doing it, because it is, because you've now tasked that part of your mind to solve this. And then you come back after the time limit is up and you simply say, Okay, look at the question again and say, okay, what do you got? And then here's the weirdest, most kind of magical part of all this. You just physically start the act of writing. It really doesn't matter what you write. Don't try and write the answer. Just write the Star Spangled Banner, write what you want for lunch, write a, a grocery list, anything you want. You start the physical act of writing and within about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, those answers will simply start to emerge right, right into your hand, right onto that page. And, and this is repeatable? People have done this over time that you've taught it to or as you've developed it? Absolutely. Well, you know, I spent four years working with a PhD in uh, psychology and cognitive science. She is actually now the co-author of the science pieces in the book. And we spent four years doing workshops and uh, presentations and uh, experiments with both her, the kids in her graduate classes at uh, the University of Michigan. And I went, I traveled around and did this with different age groups, different professions. And the answer was, yes, it's, it's repeatable. It's on demand. Anytime you do this, you'll get an answer. Um, and that's kind of what makes it so, I don't know, I think so incredibly valuable is it turns out that those answers you're looking for are available to you if you just know how to stop and ask in the right way. And that, that's one of the things I, I love uh, about the, the approach with this work is that it's, you know, it's evidence-based, it's scientifically backed, and, uh, and it's kind of fun and at the same time. 
Yeah, there's no, you know me, Steve, I'm a very kind of nuts and bolts, you know, it's like, if, if it's broken, let's figure out how to fix it, you know, there's not a lot of woo-woo stuff there, you don't have to chant, you don't have to embrace any religious ideology, it's like, no, this is just one, two, three, you do this very simply, and you will get the answers you're looking for, and that can be creative stuff it could be technical stuff it can be personal stuff doesn't really matter wow so it's kind of like a a a hack for create for the creative process almost i that's a perfect way to describe it is you're hacking your own creative abilities i mean in the sense that you have these abilities we just have never been taught how to use these abilities. And it's real simple and it, it doesn't require any of that, you know, any of that other stuff, you know? It's just, all you need is a, a pen and a piece of paper, that's it. And you can do this. I usually suggest people, you know, buy a notebook so that they can keep their questions and answers in one place, but it doesn't matter, you know? You could do it on a napkin, it really makes no difference. It's the process that you're engaging in of, really getting your conscious mind out of the way of solving the problem to use your conscious mind to define the problem and evaluate the answer but get it out of the way for the actual problem solving part and let it go do something else preferably be something else that you enjoy doing you know wow phenomenal Our friends at Better Listen are offering a special discount to listeners of the show. 20% off the MacGyver Secret audiobook. Just go to betterlisten.com, search for MacGyver, and use discount code MAC20 when checking out. Enjoy. And I was going to ask you about the creative process, and that we kind of covered that. Let me try it. So I have this question that I heard someone else say, Uh, in an interview that I just thought was so fascinating and you know we can edit it out if it sucks if you were a superhero what would your creation story be you know what you know what happened in your life or what happened in your past that turned you into a storyteller or something like that well that's a that's a really interesting question and I would say um I uh so a storyteller is fundamentally someone who, you know, creates something from the inside and puts it out, okay? Once upon a time, and you just kind of go from there. Um, I mean, we all do that to a certain extent, one way or another, as we make choices and define our lives. But, but clearly, the whole idea is you reach inside and you put something out there. And when I was a kid, when I was literally walking to school, in kindergarten one day, um, I had this epiphany. I think that's the only term for it, Um, which at the time, you know, kind of blew me away. I didn't really understand it, but it really became the foundation, I think, of most of the choices in my life, certainly the choice to become, you know, a writer or storyteller. Um, And I was, I remember we had a group of kids, my brother and I, and a group of kids would gather at the bottom of this hill, and we'd walk up the hill, and then we had to walk along this very busy boulevard to get to our school. These days, they would never let anybody do that. (laughs) Back then, it was like, go to school, you know? (laughs) What street was it, by the way? What? 
What street was it? Oh man, I'm well. I think it was called Woodfield Road. It was somewhere in on Long Island in West okay. Malvern, because the school was the Woodfield Road Elementary School. Okay. I don't think it's there anymore, but um, and so I was walking along and I was watching the cars zooming back and forth along this boulevard, and I thought to myself, "Where are they going?" And then it occurred to me, "Oh, they must all be going to work." And then I thought, oh, okay, well, why are they going to work? And then it occurred to me, oh, they must be going to work to make money. And I thought, oh, okay, well, why do they want to make money? And then I thought, well, I guess they want to make money so they can buy like cars and houses and all this other stuff. And then I thought, well, why do they want cars and houses and all this other stuff? And then it occurred to me that well, it must make them feel good to have cars and houses and all this other stuff. And then I thought, okay, but the cars and the houses, they don't have any feelings, they're just things. So the feelings must be inside the people. Otherwise, I mean, you know, the feeling doesn't come with the house, it just, the feeling is in you. So I said, okay, well, if the feeling is in you, then why do you need the car in the house? Why don't you just tell yourself to have that feeling? And then you don't have to go through all this other stuff. <laughs> okay. Wow. That was all. And, and again, I was five years old. I had no idea what that really meant, but it was clear to me that somehow what you were really after was already inside you because the house just produces a feeling that must pre-exist in some form in you, otherwise, how could you have it, you know? And so, well, if it pre-exists there, then just search for that feeling and maybe you don't need the car, and you, maybe you don't need the house, maybe there's a way to access that feeling without needing all these external things. Hence, as time went on, you know, and slowly but surely, uh, you know, I grew up and went to school and went to college and was really able to kind of look at these things, it occurred to me that, you know, the answers we're really looking for are more inside us than out there. Hmm. And, and we spend a lot of our lives looking for stuff and answers out there when the truth is it's kind of already available to us. We just have to figure out how to get to it. Now, whether you use the MacGyver secret to really get at some deeper truth that you're looking for, or whether you're just going, okay, how do I write this report, or how do I solve this particular problem, or do I hire this person or that person, you know, it doesn't really matter. The process is the same. You can use it to solve virtually anything, but if you want to look at those deeper questions, then the answer is, what is it I'm really looking for, and, and is there a way that I can, you know, give that to myself? without necessarily having to get the whole world to agree to give it to me, because that's usually tougher than not. <laughs> right, 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 right. Anyway. Cool, wow. Him, so. Excellent. All right, so, um, sure, shameful plug. So what, what, shameless plug. So one of the reasons why we're doing this is because Lee and I just finished a, a collaboration, and let's see, if, uh, he just wrote this excellent book called The MacGyver Secret, our audio publishing label, uh, Better Listen. It just finished producing the audio book. 
And uh, the book is available. The audio book will be available shortly. And he has a wonderful course that goes along with this. But uh, that's it. It was really enjoyable having this conversation. And uh, that's it for me. Any, any last word, MacGyver or Lee? Uh, you know, just if, if someone is interested in following up on this, <clears throat> they can go to MacGyverSecret.com. The book is available there. The book is also available, you know, at Amazon, both in, you know, paperback and uh, Kindle versions. So, but yeah, if there's any final word to people, it's like, you really have more answers available to, the, to than you think. And if you just stop and maybe try something as simple as writing them down, not thinking about them and coming back and asking for the answer, you may be surprised at what's available to you. Excellent. Okay, Lee, I think that was great. Thanks so much for your time and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Great, thanks, Steve. All right, Lee, take it easy. You too, bye-bye. Bye now. You've been listening to Street Smart Wisdom, the podcast from Wisdom Feed. You can follow Wisdom Feed on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. If you haven't, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. We appreciate your feedback. Join us next week for another Street Smart Conversation. Thank you for listening.